Welcome to the Road to Zero podcast. I'm your host, Nick LeBlanc, founder of Network Potential Consulting. We're here to explore the fast-emerging zero-impact economy, which is transforming the way we do business, bringing prosperity and regenerating the natural world in the process. And I invite you to look at how you can position your business at the forefront of this global movement. Today on the Road to Zero, we're talking to Jason Vallis, Vice President of External Relations or Planetary Technology, and he's joining us from Ottawa, Ontario. Welcome, Jim, and thank you for being with us. Nick, thanks for having me. Now, you had a very long career with uh, both the Canadian Armed Forces and the Federal Public Service. Now, what got you to jump into a, a startup taking on accelerating the, uh, the, the carbon economy and, and uh, shifting the uh, ocean, uh, chemistry of the ocean? Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. I guess I have to go back to sort of, well, first of all, my own childhood. And so uh, I guess my passion for environment and sustainability comes from being raised in the country, um, getting to explore the great outdoors and appreciating the environment. Uh, my parents were also very much of the mindset of leave it better than you found it. And uh, so that was, you know, sort of my mindset growing up. Um, but really the transition to a startup, that big leap started about 10 years ago. Uh, when I decided that uh, I wanted to make sustainable energy and policy a full-time career. I went back to school, I upgraded my engineering, and um, and then a couple of years after that, I had my first child, which really solidified um, the need for me to direct all of my energy towards this, this massive problem that we have to solve, which is uh, climate change. So I was very fortunate as I left the Canadian Armed Forces, I was able to transition to the Federal Public Service where I worked at the Office of Energy Research and Development, as you, you mentioned in the intro there. And uh, I got a very um, good overview of sort of the energy innovation ecosystem in Canada. Um, you know, we were funding over 400 different projects, both federally, uh, internally, as well as like externally. And uh, I got a really good view of sort of, you know, the real challenge ahead of us in terms of decarbonization I recognized that without any experience in the private sector, I was still lacking something. I didn't quite understand um, what made some companies succeed and others not succeed. And so I went back to school for a third time. I did my MBA and ultimately decided to, you know, the best way to learn is to, to join a startup. And I was very fortunate to uh, know the CEO and co-founder of uh, Planetary. And so I joined them in the fall of 2020. And uh, it's been a roller coaster of a ride since. Tell us a bit more about Planetary. I noticed they were they're founded in 2019, so a fairly recent company. So what what are what are they about and what you guys are up to? Yeah, you're right. So we're we're a young startup. Uh, I guess we're just entering into our third year uh, of operations. As you mentioned, the company was founded in 2019 uh, by our co-founders, uh, CEO uh, Mike Kelland and Dr. Greg Rao, as well as uh, Brock Patakio, who's a renewable energy engineer. The company really has one primary mission, which is to remove carbon from the air. The way that we're doing that um, is through an electrochemical approach that was developed by our co-founder and CTO, Dr. Greg Rao. Uh, so I can get more into the details of that, but, um, but yeah, we've had quite uh, a successful first two years, I would say, as, as a company. Um, you know, we've, we've been able to prove our technology at the bench scale. Um, we're now moving up to piloting. And, um, and we've grown the team from, you know, the four uh, initial co-founders to, to a team of 15, you know, dedicated engineers, entrepreneurs, scientists, 
who are actively working at how we can solve this problem of removing carbon from the atmosphere. And, and I can see you have a pretty pretty big goal. Is it 1 billion tons of CO2 removed by 2035, I believe? Yeah, that is our goal. It, um, I mean, this is a, a huge challenge. Um, the IPCC has come out and, and said pretty clearly that if we're going to reach net zero, we need to capture and remove 10 billion tons of carbon annually by, the, by mid-century. Uh, so the way that we look at that is that in order to have a solution, that is going to be, you know, take a chunk out of that. Um, we need to be looking at a billion tons. Uh, we need to start with that in mind and do everything that we are doing today to scale up to that to that goal. Um, so we have said that we want to reach a billion tons of removal by 2035. It's a very, very ambitious goal, um, but that's what we are working towards. And tell us a bit about the technology. I, I believe you call the process the accelerated carbon transmission platform. So tell us more about how, how exactly you go about doing that. Yeah, so the I'll just correct you a little bit. So it's accelerated carbon transition platform. And uh, yes, it is, um, it, it's an electrochemical approach, a geoelectrochemical approach to carbon removal. Um, so basically the science relies on enhanced weathering and ocean alkalinity enhancement. And so there's a number of stages of the technology, starting with, uh, well, stages of development, then also stages within the process. Uh, so we actually start with mine tailings or mine waste, which is uh, you know, silicate rocks that are already dug up out of the earth. Um, and we use those tailings to extract uh, the feedstock for our electrochemical process, uh, which you know, combined with renewable energy and water allows us to produce hydrogen which is uh, why we were formerly called planetary hydrogen. Some of your listeners might be familiar with planetary hydrogen um, as a byproduct, but also a form of mild alkalinity. And that alkalinity uh, with a pure form of alkalinity is then shipped to coastal outfalls where we introduce that to seawater in order to enhance the alkalinity of the ocean. I think uh, your listeners will know that uh, the oceans have been a huge buffer when it comes to uh, climate change. In fact, they've been absorbing up to a third of all of the man-made emissions um, that we've put into the atmosphere. A third of those end up in the oceans and they're actually deacidifying, or sorry, they're acidifying the ocean. Um, so by adding alkalinity, we can actually counter that ocean acidification, restore ocean chemistry. And in the process, we're um, reacting that dissolved carbon dioxide with the alkalinity to produce stable car carbonates and bicarbonates which is effectively how we store carbon within the ocean. So the, the way you're getting the carbon is you're, the, this alkalinity substance that you're creating, you're putting in the ocean. And of course, the oceans already absorb all that CO2, which makes it more acidic. What happens to the CO2? Does it get locked in a, in a different form or fall down to the, what, what happens to CO2 in that process? Yeah, exactly. So the, the carbon dioxide that's already dissolved in the ocean ends up reacting with the alkalinity that we introduce and forms those carbonates and bicarbonates that I mentioned. And eventually over eons, you know, settles to the bottom of the ocean as sediments and will come back up through volcanic action. This is what you would call the slow carbon cycle or geochemical carbon cycle. It's the reason why today we have, uh, the oceans are actually the largest reservoir of carbon on the earth's surface. Something like 88% of carbon is in the form of these carbonates and bicarbonates within ocean chemistry. Um, so the oceans, you know, definitely have to be a part of the climate solution. Um, but I think what's interesting is that it's only recent that we've seen sort of 
more mainstream efforts to to recognize that and to to push uh, the fact that we need to do a lot more research and and look at the oceans as a possible solution. I mean, it it only makes logical sense. I mean, I, met, I mentioned that it's the largest reservoir of carbon on the Earth's surface. It's also the you know over seventy percent of the Earth's surface. So the oceans uh, naturally left on our own, uh, left on their own rather, will eventually um, draw down all of the carbon that we've emitted into the atmosphere. The issue is that it would take you know thousands and thousands of years, which we don't have. And so our process basically looks to accelerate that natural process um, of you know, enhanced rock weathering, formation of carbonates and bicarbonates, which end up in ocean chemistry. Yeah, really, uh, really nice, elegant, long-term solution. And, and imagine too, it, it deals with the whole issue of uh, ocean acidification itself is a problem, right? I know on, on, on this coast, I'm on the West Coast, and we have issues with some other of our uh, shellfish uh, um, cultures where their the shells aren't you know being broken down and it's actually being quite a quite an issue. You're right; it's devastating. And you know, there's we uh, one of our research partners with the University of Miami is actually looking at the impacts of ocean acidification and heating on like things like coral reefs. And stats out there that say we're going to lose half of our coral reefs uh, as we see the increase in temperature and acidification of our oceans. So you know, we need to not only worry about how we deal with carbon in the atmosphere, but we have to do that in a way, like you said, that's thoughtful and thinks about the environmental effects of how we're going to do it. So if we can uh, have a process like the accelerated carbon transition platform, which can help to deacidify the ocean, some studies have shown actually increase the resilience of coral reefs to things like ocean warming through alkalinity enhancement, then we think that this is a, a good way to go. It's a good way to kind of kill two birds with one stone. And if you take it one step further, or I should say, uh, you know, feed two birds with one scone, as uh, as our office manager likes to say. But you could take it one step further. I mean, we're we're not only looking at the oceans, but we're also looking at land use and how we can use existing resources, such as mine waste, which, uh, in the case of our our pilot and some of the test sites that we've been looking at, I mean, there's there's tens of hundreds of millions of tons of mine waste, which are often hazardous or not desirable for the local community. It's a, it's a liability really for mine site uh, owners and operators. And so we can go in there and over time uh, remediate those sites, return them back to productive use while also addressing these issues such as climate change and, and ocean acidification. So we see the, the ACT platform, as we call it, uh, really doing uh, four things. Um, you know, we talked about the hydrogen production as a byproduct through the metallurgy of Getting that feedstock for our electrochemical process, we actually have other byproducts such as battery metals, uh, which can be sold to offset the cost of carbon removals. And then as we've already discussed, the ocean side of it, where we can um, obviously capture and store carbon in the ocean, but also look at uh, how we can adapt or, or uh, increase the resilience of things like coral reefs and just restore ocean chemistry. So it's really four things that we say that we do. And, and this is where I'm really curious to know what your your, your business model is, because you got a couple of things in there where you got some byproducts you can sell that are actually fairly valuable. And then imagine since you're capturing and, and accelerating the storage of carbon, there's some potential carbon credits. So, so what is your business model? That's a good question. Uh, ultimately, we see ourselves as a technology company, and so the the box is the technology that would be deployed at a mine site. And we would look to license that technology to, to mine operators or mine site legacy mine owners. Um, and that's essentially what our business will be. 
but it's going to go, it's going to evolve over time as we get to that stage. Uh, in fact, our first customer was actually Shopify who pre-purchased carbon removal credits uh, from our, from our pilot plant that we're getting up and running right now. Uh, and we see that the voluntary carbon market will actually um, play a critical role in, uh, as we develop and scale up our technology in, in helping to uh, um, you know, kickstart essentially the carbon removal market and show that there is a market for, for carbon. Uh, and then over time, as we can prove out the ocean side, you know, the measurement reporting verification of carbon in the oceans, and we can certify that pathway, there'll be a switch to selling those carbon credits on the compliance market. Uh, and that's where we actually see, you know, hydrogen having a bigger role to play as we scale up because hydrogen is going to be critical for, um, you know, decarbonization for us. We see that first at the mine site where we're deploying this technology, but as we scale up and have multiple sites, you'll be able to use that hydrogen uh, for the production of low carbon fuels, um, or even just directly. And so, you know, for the mining, uh, the mine site operator or legacy mine site owner, um, there's a number of you know, revenue streams that they'll be able to uh, tap into uh, using our device. But ultimately, for us, we're a technology company and we'll be licensing out that technology. Yeah, very eloquent because I can see this primarily this is a way for them to reduce their environmental impact from the tailings and have a solution to do that. And there's so many off streams of basically minimize the cost of actually that remediation effort. So it's quite a, quite, quite interesting. And I love what you said too, because I've noticed this pattern where you've got it takes a bit before you can verify and get on the carbon credit with a verified. And a lot of these forward thinking companies that are out to invest and, 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 sh and, and really lead, lead the industry to show that they're making these changes or investing in, in a lot of startups like yourselves and really getting you guys to the point where then you can take advantage of those different markets. So it's quite a, it's quite an, an interesting development we're seeing now in where you get your funding before it was like government grants or so on, but the, uh, the uh, bigger companies wanting to get those environmental uh, uh, accomplishments are, are really driving quite a bit of it. You're absolutely right, Nick. Like we're we're uh, we're seeing even since the company was founded in 2019, where the founders really the co-founders really were putting the emphasis on the hydrogen, um, seeing as that as the sort of pathway towards commercialization. Um, the conversation has changed. The markets have changed rapidly when it comes to carbon removals, and also just the recognition that. You know, not all carbon removals and notice I'm not saying carbon offsets are created equal and that there's a real need for, you know, durable, high quality carbon removals. So understanding that um, a lot of these forward thinking companies, Microsoft, Stripe, Shopify, in our case, um, have really leaned forward and are, are paying a premium understanding, you know, upwards of, uh, you know, $2,000 a ton in some some cases. Um, really to get this, uh, these technologies tested so that we can have them available to us when we know that we're going to need them. But there's a lot of things that have to happen between now and then um, in order to, to make this a, a reality. So we're very, we're very optimistic uh, that we can get there. And, uh, and, and when we look at um, you know, how quickly the conversation is, is developing, maturing, um, you know, there's a lot of reason to be hopeful that, uh, we, can, that we can make this work. And just to get a sense, just to, is there, um, and how are you managing the risk? Because here you're, you're, you're taking these vast quantities of, of something to put into the ocean. So how is that being managed and how, how can the ocean take that alkalinity and uh, what, uh, yeah, just to get a, a sense of the risk management that you're applying there. 
Yeah, so I mean, there's several different ways that we're tackling the risk in terms of technology development. Like, it's a, there's a several a lot of testing that's going on the metallurgical and electrochemistry side. So that's more, I think, traditional. People can can understand how you would develop a, a technology like that. On the ocean side, there's a lot of research that has to be done. Uh, so we have Dr. Will Burt, who leads our uh, ocean research program, and uh, obviously Dr. Greg Rao with over 40 plus years looking at, he's a, a marine biogeochemist. Uh, and we basically were partnering with several different institutions. So primarily Dalhousie University in Halifax, which is where our, our lab is located. We're working with them, University of Miami, uh, under the XPRIZE carbon removal competition as well in the UK with Plymouth Marine Laboratories um, under uh, the UK government's greenhouse gas removal program. In all these instances, we're basically studying an existing outfall uh, and looking at the various impacts in terms of whether, you know, working with Dalhousie, looking at impacts on like uh, phytoplankton or oysters for the addition of alkalinity, um, or even just modeling. Uh, our UK work has been largely focused on modeling an existing outfall, looking at how we could add alkalinity using things like wastewater treatment facilities uh, and then being able to measure and understand that carbon that's fluxing into the ocean. So there's a number of different things. I mentioned University of Miami and coral reefs, um, but that's still just a, a drop in the bucket in terms of the overall research that needs to be done. And this was recognized by uh, the National Academies of the Sciences. They recently released a report basically looking at recommending the level of investment that's required in order to answer some of these questions about ocean-based pathways for CDR, not just ocean alkalinity enhancement. And, uh, and so that report's available and I would encourage your listeners um, to take a look uh, at that report and just get a better appreciation of, of what needs to be done in order to make this a reality. I'm just get a sense of like where you are now and when and what's the, the next couple of milestones along, along your, your pathway to 2035. Just uh, yeah, what, what's, what does that look like currently? Yeah, it's a good question. There's a, as I mentioned, we're moving from the lab and bench scale testing to pilot, piloting activities. And so that's going to take a couple of different forms. Um, we've got a pilot, two different mine sites that we're working with um, to pilot our metallurgical and electrochemical approach. And so that's going to be over the next 12 months, uh, basically scaling up some of the bench scale testing that we're doing. And as I mentioned on the ocean side, um, we're working with uh, some partners in the UK, uh, Miami and Halifax, uh, in order to do some testing on the ocean alkalinity addition. And there the challenge really is, well, mostly about measurement, in fact. What we've seen from our models is that add this alkalinity and it disperses so quickly that it's, uh, it's hard to actually measure the, the impact that it has on the local outfall. Of course, we're going to have to be able to validate our models and show that there's carbon being captured, even though we, we know from our bench scale test that that's the case. So that's really the focus over the next 12 months or so. And that's going to lead to demonstration activities. So uh, 2024 to 2025 is really about uh, operating this process end to end at a commercial scale. And so we're, we're currently, as the piloting is underway and that optimization is taking place, uh, we'll be raising the funds, uh, raising the capital required to go out and build a demonstration scale facility, which will be scaled to remove approximately 1,200 tons of carbon per year uh, from the air uh, through this ocean alkalinity addition using the alkalinity that we're producing. So um, that's really the plan from now until 
I guess, 2025. And from there, uh, I think it'll really depend on sort of how quickly we can uh, accelerate this. You know, we are discussing internally how we could look at rapidly scaling this up. And so we're, we're doing some, some planning around that. Um, but really the focus is on pilot and, uh, and demonstration at the, at the time being. So, yeah, so it sounds like kind of towards the end of 2030, you're, you're really lo- then looking at commercialization and really grow into the market, I imagine, once you get through the demonstration phase. Yeah, so I think with the demonstration uh, operating, it'll be very easy for us to show to you know, project partners uh, and then start developing um, you know, projects, multiple projects at multiple different sites. So we see commercial scale plants, you know, 50,000 tons plus of removal, um, you know, 2027, 2028. And so we're, we're, we're really aggressively pushing towards that goal. Obviously to hit a billion tons by 2035, you know, you, it's a 10 X to go from a thousand to a million and then a million to a billion. So it's, it's quite a bit of uh, work that we have ahead of ourselves. Um, but really, like I said, the focus is pilot demo and then scale up as rapidly as we can from 2025 onwards. Yeah, definitely helpful that you've got a design where you've got these multiple revenue streams. I think that, that'll definitely happen. Uh, help facilitate that that mass commercialization, I imagine. You're right. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to cost, right? And so, you know, there's this sort of $100 per ton benchmark that if we can get to $100 per ton, uh, then it's going to be much more, it'll be cheaper than the alternative um, in terms of uh, it, it will make it more, it'll make it cost effective. Sorry, this is what I'm trying to say for, for carbon removals. You know, when we look at it, you know, we think there's potential to, to get much further below $100 per ton of removal. Um, and that's, as you mentioned, partially because of the other revenue that we can bring in through the process of cleaning up mine tailings, extracting metals that remain in those mine tailings, uh, and then through the production of things like hydrogen. And just to get a sense too, how does that compare with what else you're seeing on the global scene of anybody else playing on in that, that space of the uh, ocean alkalinity or, or similar technologies? We are seeing uh, a, a, a bunch of different companies. Well, I shouldn't say a bunch. There are a few different companies that have, uh, that have come into the space uh, in the last year or so, um, which is great. Uh, and some of them are looking at ocean alkalinity enhancement either through removal of carbon from seawater. So electrochemical splitting of seawater, which is not the approach that we're, that we're taking and then returning water uh, that has essentially been uh, deacidified, uh, seawater deacidified back into the ocean. Um, I've seen some visions of, you know, offshore, you know, plants, if you will, that are looking to uh, remove carbon from seawater electrochemically and then deposit that carbon uh, underneath the ocean floor. There's, there's some really, exciting, ambitious ideas out there. And we're, you know, we encourage all those, you know, the more attention people are, are uh, playing, you know, putting on the space, the more that we as collectively can, can move the needle in terms of getting the policies and regulations in place to make sure that these kinds of technologies can uh, prosper moving forward and have a, an impact on climate change. Um, so yeah, I'd say it's a, it's an exciting time to be in carbon removal. It's, uh, it's a really exciting time to be in the ocean carbon removal space. And, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic that we're going to be able to, to figure out how to do this in a cost effective and, and very safe way. 
What is your company uh, looking for in need of at the moment? Are you looking for expertise or funding or what's, what would most benefit what you guys are up to at the moment? Yeah, so this is, uh, this is a great question. And I, I would encourage uh, listeners to take, check out our careers page on our, our website. We are a fast growing startup. We do have a couple of positions open right now uh, looking for expertise in, uh, in a, to support our metal- metallurgical process development. Um, so check that out. I think that's our most immediate need. You know, this is a this is a, a deep tech, hard tech type solution. So funding capital is going to be required, and we will be going out to raise additional funds in the near future. So stay uh, tuned for announcements in terms of uh, fundraising efforts. Expertise and funding is definitely a requirement going forward. And just like more broadly, I would say that you know, we're doing a lot of research in ocean alkalinity enhancement and the measuring, reporting and verification of carbon fluxing to the ocean. Um, but a lot of work needs to be done in that space as identified by the National Academies in their report and others. And so uh, I think we need to, we need to take a look at the policies and regulations that are going to um, encourage the development and the research that needs to be done, and then eventually the deployment. So you know, I'm, I'm looking at ways uh, at how we can, you know, basically educate policymakers on the potential of this and then how we can rapidly prove out these pathways so that they are available to us. So that's a that's sort of a, a larger sort of ecosystem development type need. And, and there are people that are, are funding this, mostly philanthropic funding, actually, that, that is uh, supporting these activities at the moment. And we see a need for uh, quite a bit more investment public funding in order to make sure that the research can you know keep up and, and pave the way for for these technologies that not just us but other companies are developing uh, to uh, to fight climate change it's really interesting what you're saying there because I, I know the um, air carbon capture is pretty hit, pretty much hit the mainstream you're seeing a lot of talk about investment in that but these uh, there's more novel ways where you uh, uh, enhance weathering, uh, ocean alkalinity, they're, they're fa- fairly new, but it seems like there's a lot of potential available through them. I think direct air capture like DAC definitely is going to play a, a role. It already is, you know, like the largest uh, uh, carbon removal plant currently in Iceland, Orkland by Climeworks. That, uh, that I mean, we need, we're going to need that. But these, these newer technologies or DAC 2.0, I've heard called, uh, I think there's, these are the solutions we're going to need to rapidly scale up. And in the case of planetary technologies, the you know leveraging or using the power of the oceans. In fact, there was a Wall Street Journal article that we were uh, featured in uh, on Sunday that that kind of gives a good overview. If your listeners are interested, you know we're we're going to need to think bigger and how can we use these natural systems in order to draw down carbon and reestablish that uh, that equilibrium. So there's a there's a number of benefits to to this solution. One being that it's both the carbon capture and the storage. Uh, and then the other ones we've, you know, we've discussed at length throughout the podcast here in terms of the byproducts and environmental co-benefits. But I think DAC is exciting and it, it's, it's exciting to see that it's scaling and being deployed. We need to have that to happen faster. And we also need to invest in the R&D required for these, uh, these newer technologies. Uh, ultimately, we're going to need all of the approaches if we're going to hit 10 billion tons a year by mid-century. Well, thank you for taking your time and just really uh, sharing with us what you guys are up to. And I really commend you to 
you know, really taking these ideas and, and jumping into the market and, and what you've done with them so far. Well, Nick, thank you for your, for your interest and for taking the time to interview us. And uh, for anyone who's interested in more information about planetary technologies, I would encourage you to check out our website. Uh, it's recently been refreshed and we've got some cool videos there. And definitely uh, feel free to reach out to me. It's just jason at planetarytech.com. And I'd be happy to, uh, to answer any questions you might have or set up a call or whatever it is. Well, I certainly look forward to see what you guys develop in the near future. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for joining us today. Check us out at www.futureproof-network.com to hear our other episodes, links to our YouTube channel, and to join our Future Proof Business Network. See you again in our next episode.